Brussels Bytes, a podcast about technology, digital society and European policy. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Dimitar Lilkov. Hi, welcome back to the Martin Centre podcast on technology and European policy. My name is Dimitar, and after a short break, we are back to Brussels and back to basics. Back in the bubble of funny abbreviations and constant political drama. In today's episode of Brussels Bytes, we're going to focus on personal data, privacy, and data governance. A topic that we all agree is extremely important, and yet we're not really certain what to do about it. How do we safeguard personal privacy? How do we handle our own sensitive data? And let me add this. These issues are so tricky that we're not even certain whether the word data is used in the singular or plural. Data is, data are, I don't know. So I'm really happy that today we have an expert to shed some light on these complex issues. It's a pleasure to be joined by Valentina Pavo, who is a digital rights policy advisor and a former Mozilla Fellow at Privacy International. Valentina recently released her fellowship project called Our Data Future, where she explores different data governance models and imagines how the world might look like in 10 years from now. She's also a core member of the Association of Technology and Internet, or APTI, in Romania. This is a digital rights organization which is part of European Digital Rights. Valentina, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Hello, Dimitar, and hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, right, so before we, we jump deeply into these, these issues, I just want to ask you, maybe you can tell us a bit more on your work in Privacy International and the last couple of months or last one year of, of, your, of your project. I was a Mozilla Fellow at Privacy International, and it was an absolutely great experience. Um, PI is working um, on a lot of uh, issues, uh, such as corporate data exploitation, uh, challenging government surveillance, and defending democracies. Uh, they are looking at issues around exploitation of data in elections, and they launched a number of campaigns on political advertising that challenged the ad tech uh, industry, they revealed how mobile apps send data to Facebook. Um, and more recently, they, they wrote how menstruation apps collect and use your data, um, but also how mental apps treat personal uh, information. During my fellowship there, um, I focused on uh, the concept of data ownership, and I explored different proposals connected to this model. Uh, and I looked at the implications for privacy stemming from uh, concentration of cor corporate power. Um, and as you mentioned, my, my fellowship output uh, is the Our Data Project, uh, where I imagine how different data models create different futures. It's an open invitation for everybody to explore uh, what, um, what's the data future we want to live in uh, and how do we get there. Mm -hmm. um, aside this work, I also uh, monitored the, the GDPR implementation and examined derogations for political parties, uh, especially in uh, Romania. And I also looked at uh, the tracking ecosystem. Great. Um, speaking of privacy, I'm um, 
really tempted to share an immediate thought with you. Uh, whenever somebody uh, speaks on this topic or whenever one of the big tech companies speak about privacy, a quote pops in my, in my, in my mind. It was a while back, maybe even eight, nine, ten years ago, when Mark Zuckerberg said that privacy is no longer a social norm. <clears throat> it was um, one of his flagship statements at the time. Of course, in recent years, he backtracked on this, um, on this statement. But can we agree that privacy is no longer a social norm? I mean, many people are advocating that transparency is extremely important, that, you know, we, if, if you don't have anything to hide online, maybe we should be a bit more transparent and this is going to make our society better. Would you agree? Uh, for me, privacy is about freedom. Mm. Um, and I want to be able to choose what information I want to disclose, to whom, in what conditions, um, and what information I want to, to keep private. Uh, so for me, it's a matter of agency and choice and not about hiding. And nobody enjoys feeling exposed and surveilled and, um, and threatened. Uh, and being under constant um, observation makes you self-censor, makes you behave in the way other people uh, people or bodies or authorities want you to to behave. So that doesn't mean freedom for me, and that doesn't mean privacy. Um, and it's, it's not a healthy way to develop as an individual if you, if you don't have freedom and, and dignity. And uh, if I were to ask you now, uh, would you give me my your bank account and your PIN number? I would say no. <laughs> so I guess everybody has something that they don't want to disclose or share immediately. And especially when we talk about private lives and uh, sensitive information. But indeed, one of the, the big questions is how to actually safeguard our privacy. That's number number one. And secondly, what to do with our personal data and our data right now we, we supply to, to apps, to, to big tech companies. Um, and many people say, well, I'm giving my, my data for free. I'm not getting anything in, in return. Um, so a couple of people recently, a couple of proponents have put forward the following idea. Maybe we should get paid for our personal data, right? I mean, we are creating this value, so we should get something in return. Um, and I'm giving this example because um, I saw a couple of months ago an online letter you, you wrote to Will I Am. This is the hip hop um, uh, star of the Black Eyed Peas group, who a couple months ago, I think in the World Economic Forum in Davos, was a very strong proponent saying, hey, personal data is part of, of my human rights and we should get paid for personal data. He was very strongly advocating that we should get something in return for the personal data that we're creating. Um, and you yourself wrote a letter objecting to this, saying that we should not get paid for our personal data. Why? Well, let's look at the problems. Um, we're not happy that companies are exploiting um, the data we generate for their own profit and interest, right? Nobody's uh, happy about that. Um, we, we all see that they're becoming a sort of uh, new feudal lords and they're building data monopolies. And we feel helpless about this. We don't have any mechanisms to, to defend ourselves, to stop this phenomenon. So yes, it's very intuitive to say, uh, if big companies make a lot of money, I want a, a, a fair share of the, mm -hmm. of the profit. Um, but 
if we want to challenge monopolies um, and their business model and make it right for everybody, I think we need to um, to think in practical terms. Uh, does the simple fact that a company um, gives me some um, a certain amount of money mm. uh, does this uh, challenge their data practices? Does this stop data exploitation? Does does this does this um, transform their their business model in any way? And in my point of view, I don't think it that happens. Uh, what happens is uh, it reinforces the same old broken model. Um, it makes them more greedy. Um, they need to make more profit in order to um, to pay us something. Mm. Um, and only big companies afford to to pay uh, certain amounts of uh, a certain amount of, of money to to people uh, and and a follow-up can we actually estimate the price of data as a little mental exercise uh, it's very easy to say let's get paid for our, our data but can we actually put a price tag on it well if we look at the Cambridge Analytica example um, in their records you can see that uh, they paid 0 0.75 cents per um, user profile so less than 1 cent yes okay <laughs> zero, okay 0 0.75 um, and that um, that money represented name surname um, and Wait a second. Location uh, and personality traits, uh, political uh, involvement. So less than one cent even for my personality traits. These are the big five traits which are the biggest predictor of human behavior and, and, and personal character, correct? Yeah. Wow, less than one cent, okay. So does, does this make sense? Do we want to give away our most intimate data for a few pennies? Is it worth it? Uh, did we consider the long-term implications of this? Mm. Um, because we need to remember um, uh, privacy is a time-shifted risk, and this means um, perhaps information that you're okay with sharing today might not be um, a good thing to share in the future. Um, and also, if you want to, to sell your data, this is a one-off transaction you cannot undo it it's something that uh, doesn't go go away and you do not do not have any control after what happens after that sure but even if we're not paid for for our data speaking about apps and digital companies social media plat platforms maybe actually it makes sense that we're not getting paid for our data because we are using the service for free right this is our access our data is our access to the service correct and many people are happy with that do you see a problem with this transaction i don't think we're considering the long long-term implications mm. of this i think we're um, immediately going after convenience and ease of use um, but at the same time we're not aware of what happens uh, in the background where perhaps we are aware of the data that we directly give to companies, for example, um, our posts, our photos, our email accounts. Um, but there's a lot of uh, indirect data that is collected by companies. It can be location data, it can be our browsing activity. Um, and there's very little transparency around mm -hmm. this. 
Um, so even if, after the, all the scandals and all the publicity. Exactly, and we don't we don't have uh, a clear picture of what's happening in the background. So how can we ask for a price where when we don't even know what data is exactly collected about us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all, all of this you mentioned is part of your project, Our Data Future, envisioning scenarios in, in 10 years time, how to actually govern our data. So if this is a problem, if maybe getting paid for our data is, is a bad thing, what solution would you put forward? So I explored uh, different models. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at property rights for data. I looked at uh, being paid for your data. Um, I even imagined how uh, a national data fund um, system could look like where data is controlled by both governments and, and citizens. But my conclusion was that uh, we need a stronger data rights framework, a framework which is built on, on strong data protection regulation and fierce enforcement, but it's also complemented by open standards, by interoperability, by uh, efficient data portability. And I think if we um, accumulate all these elements, we have a better chance of living uh, the digital future that we want. So you mentioned data rights. Does this mean that the current data rights we have, the current legislation we have is not sufficient? What else do we need then? Uh, I think the the current data protection system is a very good start. I think it has very important elements in it, and I'm specifically um, thinking of principles such as uh, data minimization to collect as as little data um, as possible, Um, principles of privacy by default and by design. But I think you need to add to this um, strong technical standards um, that are built in an open way for different, for example, centralized applications to talk to each other. I don't see any reason why um, uh, I cannot talk to you um, or, or, or link my privacy-friendly app mm-hmm. to your closed source uh, application that you use for instant communication. Um, and at the same time, decentralized uh, systems can talk to each other as well. So I guess the big vision around a data rights uh, framework would be to build this uh, open um, interoperability standards and make the entire ecosystem talk to each other. Sounds great, but how do we actually do it? Do you think the current big digital companies will share this idea? Are they going to implement it? Is self-regulation going to push forward such visions or we need stronger regulation coming from national European level? I think there's a there's a great initiative in terms of building these mm-hmm. standards. Um, it's, a, it's a new vision for, for the internet and for technologies. At the same time, I think uh, the big tech companies need to wake up to this reality. Um, and it's our job to demand uh, this on them and to put uh, a lot of pressure. Um, but yes, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, it's, a long, it's a long battle ahead. Mm. And browsing through your um, 
your project. You mentioned that some of the smart digital devices such as Alexa or Google Assistant, just to name a couple of examples, you, 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 you label them as surveillance machines. Why? Aren't these smart Internet of Things devices improving our lives, helping us to be more optimized and more productive? If they are improving our lives or not, I think it's uh, it's for each and everyone to to decide. Mm -hmm. um, but I think why, what we need to understand is the implications of of such devices and their long term impact. Uh, and for me, this is key. And I'm coming back to my answer around freedom. I want to be aware of what's happening in the background, and I want to know exactly what type of data is collected, in what circumstances. I want to be able to stop it if I don't want that to happen. Um, and th this is not possible nowadays, uh, or it's 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 very difficult. Even even though um, data protection regimes such as the General Data Protection Regulation includes the right to um, ask for your data or to intervene mm. or to, um, um, to make companies uh, stop their, their collection practices. Uh, it's a very cumbersome effort from the individual side. So this is where other principles from the GDPR need, need to be pushed forward and need to be in the highlight in, in terms of, uh, of business practices. Um, and these principles are around uh, privacy by design and by default and around that data minimization. I think this should be the core of all types of business processes and, uh, and user rights uh, are added on top of that, but not vice versa. It's, it, the, individu the individual should not um, be responsible for um, micromanaging mm -hmm. every data transaction related to, to him or her. So you're saying that these essential principles are embedded in the legislation. They're there on paper, but maybe they're not implemented rigorously enough, and maybe we should reinforce them, correct? Yes, I think we're, we have a long way to go in terms of implementation efforts and uh, applying uh, not only the letter, but also the spirit of the law. Mm. It's been more than a year since GDPR kicked in. Um, there's numerous um, even analysis and even complaints that uh, GDPR is not really doing a good job, especially coming from business, surprise, surprise. Um, but maybe focusing on GDPR and its implementation on the ground, what's your impressions? Are the data protection authorities doing a good job? Are people's rights being safeguarded? Do we see progress one year after GDPR kicked in? I think we see slow progress, um, but it's a good start. Um, I think we should expect uh, from regulators uh, harsher uh, fines and um, rapid uh, intervention. Um, and linking back to your question around uh, Alexa and, and uh, Google Assistant and other um, um, smart devices, um, for example, the Data Protection Authority in uh, Hamburg uh, forbidden Google to make recordings uh, from from these uh, types of assistance. So uh, it's it's not a definite, uh, it's not a final decision, but it definitely triggers an alarm bell for 
all types of companies that are doing similar practices. Mm-hmm. And also following up on, on the question of GDPR implementation on the ground, uh, an example comes to my mind, especially in Central and Eastern European member states, there's big concerns from watchdogs and NGOs basically saying that actually GDPR can even be um, used negatively. As an example, to um, stifle journalists, to um, also the data protection authorities, which are supposed to be independent, working on a national level, if they're not fully independent, they can even cooperate with governments and they can be used as a tool of oppression towards smaller firms or companies to which um, the government or specific people in power are not very favorable. Um, sounds a bit gloomy, but that's the political reality in some European member states. So we should also take this into consideration. We already have an indication uh, that the GDPR can be misused um, as a tool to limit freedom of expression and of the press. And this was reported in a letter to the European Data Protection Board by the Association for Technology and Internet, by Privacy International and European Digital Rights and other civil society organizations. And this referred to the RICE project case, um, where the Romanian DPA uh, asked for the the source of journalistic uh, information. Um, And this was based on the Romanian implementation of the law, which introduces um, derogations for processing of personal data for journalistic purposes. And the law mentions only three very limited uh, scenarios under which personal data can be processed for journalistic purposes. Um, And generally, um, processing of personal data for journalistic purposes is much wider than that. Uh, So I I think um, the European Data Protection Board and the European Commission have plenty of opportunity now to ensure that the GDPR is not misused, uh, particularly when it comes to freedom of expression and uh, reconciling privacy and freedom of expression, Um, and also to assure a uniform application of the GDPR at uh, European level. And I think uh, the RISE project context gives very strong concerns as regards to the independence of the Romanian Data Protection um, Authority. Um, And it is absolutely unacceptable for for a DPA to ask to disclose the source of personal data that reveal journalistic sources and uh, access to to journalistic data, which can represent a threat to freedom of expression and information. So borderline GDPR should not be used as a tool to silence freedom of the press or a way to block the publication of public interest information. Exactly. And and that's the thing with such an important legislation as the GDPR. It's very easy to label it as black or white, as successful or unsuccessful. But the, the reality is that on paper, this is a sound piece of legislation, but its implication, its implementation across the EU varies. Different member states implement um, the legislation in, in different ways, and there are certain loopholes. And we absolutely have to address this, and I think it's up to civil society, it's up to NGOs, it's up to academics to constantly put pressure on this topic. 
Um, and I'd just like to ask you additionally, because I mean, you've been part of different campaigns and um, different initiatives, how to make people care more about their privacy, how to push privacy further up the political agenda? Is it through involvement? Is it through campaigns? Is it through education? I think you you need to do all of that. Mm. Um, and I think you, you need to disclose different practices. For example, how political um, parties use your data for their campaigns. Uh, that's why I think Privacy International's um, campaign and work around uh, um, data in the context of electoral processes is extremely important and extremely crucial in our in our times. Uh, we have national elections coming up in a lot of countries. Um, in Romania, we have presidential elections in two months, mm -hmm. um, and we have a very problematic uh, loophole uh, when it comes to processing personal data for political by political parties. Um, and in the Romanian implementation of the law, political parties can simply process uh, any type of data, including sensitive data, without consent or other legal basis. So, and this is perfectly legal, according to your uh, Romanian law, national law, correct? Yes, that basically means uh, legitimizing Cambridge Analytica. Mm, mm. Um, I um, followed up with a, an official complaint to the European Commission in February this year. So we're six months in after I sent this uh, report and analysis and nothing happened. So I, I, I really urge the European Commission to, to step in and assure cohesive uh, implementation and application of the GDPR. So there we go. Pressure should come from different levels, not only from top-level politicians, but also from civil society and from organized interest groups who are advocating for this. You raised a topic about elections, which reminded me of something also very interesting and a bit worrying. We live in a digital age in which more and more funding um, is invested towards digital communication, digital advertisement for political parties, specific spread of narrat narratives goes online on targeted online campaigns. And yet, when it comes to accountability and transparency of all this money, all of these efforts online, it's like we're stuck in the beginning of the 20th century because we have national laws, giving specific boundaries for the money you can spend in newspaper ads, television ads, radio ads, accountability, right of appeal, and so on. But when it comes to digital, it's like we haven't made much progress in the last 10 years. I think even the United Kingdom Electoral Commission has been urging for the last decade that the UK should revamp and update its legislation when we talk about digital advertisement. Do you see this as a problem during um, national election campaigns? Absolutely. Mm. I think we really need to do uh, a revision around uh, electoral law and how this relates to political campaigning. Uh, more and more political parties uh, go in the online space and use sophisticated methods to, to send their political messaging and to do targeting and, and profiling. and. Um, these practices need to be exposed. Uh, we do have some 
first tools for um, more transparency, and I'm referring to different uh, ad transparency registries launched by, by big tech companies. Um, they're not extremely easy to use at this moment, but uh, so there's a lot more to be done, but um, I think we, we need to take uh, all this collective effort and do a revision of the electoral law system. Do a revision of the electoral law system and maybe stop legitimizing Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> as you just said. Um, Valentina Pavel, thank you so much for being part of our podcast program. Dear listeners, um, the political season is in full swing in Brussels, so stay tuned for more content and more Brussels Bites. That was today's episode of Brussels Bites. 